Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. The following podcast is part 134 in the series Contending for the Faith. This is the morning service of Sunday the 18th of January 2015, entitled The Genesis Account, Part 11, The Abolishment of Satan. And the Bible reading is taken from Genesis chapter 3, verses 14 to 15. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. I'd like to be opening your Bibles this morning to the book of Genesis chapter 3. I'm going to try to do something a little bit different this morning because I know we've been going through this series for three years, and we've covered a lot of things. But in recent weeks, I think this is the 11th in the series on the Genesis account. And of course, we're looking at different fundamentals of the Christian faith, different foundational truths. There are a lot of things that people fight over and disagree over that really, I believe that it brings tears to God's eyes to see how divided his people can be sometimes. But there's also an awful lot that will not take a stand on the truths that matter that I think breaks God's heart when he sees that his people are not willing to stand up on his word. And so we're talking about those foundational truths And we believe with all of our hearts that the Genesis account in the Word of God is a foundational, fundamental truth to the Christian faith. We believe that when you take away the Genesis account, that you're taking away the foundation of many truths that are built on. It is the book of beginnings. Now, I'm going to review just briefly, and I can't do this. We've covered a lot of things, and the reason in taking our time through these different series is not to get lost in time, but to be able to gain from it what the Lord would have us to gain from it. If you were not here on Wednesday evening in our prayer meeting, I mentioned to them this morning in the Bible study time, if you weren't there either, that we talked about the importance of on Wednesday evening, we talk about the importance of God's Word, line upon line, precept upon precept. And when God gave those truths to us in Scripture, He was talking to the southern nation of Judah, asking them to look and let the northern nation be an example to them because they had not. They had not spent their time in God's Word, line upon line, precept upon precept. And as a result, they'd gone away from God. They were a bunch of drunkards that had a bunch of idols in their lives. God has said, don't let that happen to you. Let my word come to you line upon line, precept upon precept. So we cover these things so that we can look and see what God is giving us, what God is telling us that's important in his word so that we can grasp those truths. Of course, the problem with any subject is if you come in partway through You've missed a lot of the things that are building up to that point, but that's the way of learning. We progress. We don't have the same message every week. We began as we began to look at the Genesis account. We said, you know, it's one of those things, you know, where did we all come from and where are we going and how did it all begin and how's it all going to finish? And there, there are questions that many of us have. If you recall, I said to you in the beginning that though people sometimes wouldn't admit it, Everybody believes in creation of some kind. People sometimes try to stay away from it, but everybody believes in creation of some kind. It's just they either believe in a world's view of a spontaneous creation where that everything just happened on its own. 
that it was a spontaneous combustion and that there was some kind of cosmic soup or big explosion. But in the end, all that we see was created out of that, though it was of itself. But those of us that believe the word of God believe not in a spontaneous creation, but a supernatural creation, praise God. We believe that God created everything that is, and without him, nothing exists that is. We look at a lot of different things there, but in the end, it was to simply draw that conclusion. And we began to work our way through the word of God, and we said that first of all, when we look at the Genesis account, it's not just the foundation of creation itself of the earth, the planet, the things around us. But it's the beginning of many things. It's the foundation for the very authority of God's Word. And we looked at a number of things there. You see, if God's Word is authoritative at all, it is authoritative in all. Many like to take bits and pieces and portions. And yes, I'll take this, but I don't want that part. I believe this, but I don't believe that. Well, the beginning, beginning is that when we begin in the book of Genesis, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. And so we looked at a number of things there, but we drew that conclusion that in the beginning, the book of Genesis, the book of beginnings, the foundation for the authority of God's word, we're either going to believe what God says or we're not. Not only for the authority of God's word, but for the assertion of God's very existence. Much, much of the world do not believe that there is a God. The authority of God's word begins with speaking in the beginning God. We said that it's the very foundation for the existence of God. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. We said it's the foundation for the absoluteness of God's creation. In other words, folks, he didn't have any outside help. He didn't have anything to begin with. We believe that God created everything that is, and he created it out of nothing. He is responsible for all life, whatever life form that that might be. He did it. He did it himself, and he did it right. We moved on then from the absoluteness of God's creation. We said that it's in the book of Genesis also, and we moved on through chapter 1, the advancement of the human race. To be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth was what he said to the first man and woman that he put here. So we find that it's the very foundation for the way that God meant for society to produce itself. It's the foundation for the accountability of man. Because in that same verse, it said that God gave it to him and to subdue it and to have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. So the book of Genesis is the foundation for the authority of God's word, for the assertion of God's existence, for the absoluteness of God's creation, for the advancement of the human race, for the accountability of mankind to his creator. We are accountable. If you take away that accountability, you go out and you tell somebody, well, you're a sinner. What's sin? Why is it sin? If there is no authority in their lives, who have they sinned against anyway? We said that it's the foundation for the administration of home life as a whole. 
You see, it was there in the book of Genesis with the first man and the first woman that God created. He was the one that said, I will make and help meet. He was the one. Matrimony began with him, one man, one woman. He said that that reason a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. You see, God designed it that way. Yeah, I know. We messed it up. There's some right here this morning. I mean, it didn't go the way God planned it. But you know, God's still God. It was God that designed it to be one man and one woman. It was God designed and told that one man and that one woman after they were made one to be fruitful and to multiply and to replenish the earth. That was the way that he brought children into the family. I got news for you. A whole other problems today, if they simply believe the foundations that are laid here. You've heard all the light remarks made out of it. God created Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. All those things that the truth is, is that if you take away God's foundation, the way that he designed it, then you've got all these other things that begin to creep in. Society itself could not even replenish itself and carry on if they carried it out the way that many do today. We see there the responsibility for the man to work and to, to supply for that household and, and to take care of his family. Many times we've looked at that verse that tells us in Psalm eleven three, if the foundation be destroyed, what can the righteous do? <laughs> Folks, if the foundations are destroyed, what hope? do we have? These are just things in the first, we haven't even gotten out of the first three chapters of Genesis. We see the very foundations being laid for the authority of God's word, for the assertion of God's existence, for the absoluteness of God's creation, for the advancement of the human race, for the accountability of mankind, for the administration of home life as God meant it to be. And then in recent weeks, we looked at the acuteness of man's fall, the severity, the depth, the far-reaching of when man committed that one sin there in the Garden of Eden. We looked at it. There was the entrance. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, the entrance of Satan the old serpent, and we looked at different passages to show that there is no question in Scripture that the serpent and Satan were one of a kind. We saw the enticement of the woman by that serpent. We saw following the enticement of the woman, we saw the error of man. You see, she was beguiled, she was tricked, but the Bible said man knew exactly what he was doing. She was beguiled by Satan. She was deceived. The Bible tells us, even in writing to young Timothy, he told him, said, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. <laughs> One did it because they'd been tricked. One did it knowingly, but they were both in the transgression. It was sin because it was contrary to God. And as a result of that, we saw the, the estrangement with God, this separation that came between 
his very creation in himself. Because of this sin that had entered in there, there was no longer that same fellowship. We were no longer the same as when God had created us in his image. And of course, as we carried on and began to bring those thoughts to an end, we talked about that enmity with Satan. You see, God put enmity. In other words, Satan and his followers are the enemies of God and his followers. The unbelievers are part of the seed of Satan himself, that spiritual seed. The Bible talks about those lost being of their father, the devil. So man was separated because of sin. And we looked at the encompassing of that curse, how how far-reaching that it was right from there in the Garden of Eden with the first man and the first woman right down to the end of time and every one of us included in that. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So we've looked at all of these things and they're all so vitally important. And as we looked through those things, we said that there were just a few more things. We'll, we'll never. I mean, I guess we could stay in Genesis till the rapture takes place, and that's fine. But we're trying to just grasp some of these important issues, not everything that's there. But I want us to move on to another thought this morning. The Genesis account, God's account of the beginning and the foundations that were laid, or what give us a clear understanding of all of these other things. And there's one more foundational truth that's given to us here. And it's something that should have a phenomenal effect on every individual here today for maybe different reasons. But we find that it was here in the beginnings, in the book of beginnings, in the book of Genesis, that we see the foundation being laid. We have seen how this one called Satan came on the scene. We have seen how that he wanted to beguile and to destroy everything that was good, his subtleties in doing so. But I want you to know in that same foundation, and we said when we were there in Genesis chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, we said that we would come back and look at another great truth that lies in there. I want us to turn in your Bibles. I'm going to invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word, just reading two verses here to begin with from Genesis chapter 3 and verse 14 as we stand and read together. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle, And above every beast of the field, upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. Verse 15 says, And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. May the Lord richly bless the reading of his holy word. You may be seated. You see, 
In our study of the Word of God, past and present, we've seen many insights into this enemy that we have called Satan. I would again refer you back. I have a copy of it here this morning. I think it's, it's only about 19 pages long. Earlier in this series, we talked about the truth about Satan. We don't have time to go through all of those things again. But they're there if you missed them. They're online if you want to listen to them. They're here if you want to read them. But we talked about this one called Satan, and we covered in some detail his person, his position, his purpose, his power, his providence, and finally our protection against that enemy. But it's that providence when we were talking about, in other words, what is the future for him? During most of our recent look and talking about the acuteness of man's fall, we saw that it was Satan's entrance into the garden and his subtle work of enticing that woman that led to the greatest error of all time of man in choosing to sin against God to commit the one prohibition that God had given him. And, of course, that is what brought about that estrangement, that separation that we talked about, that enmity that was brought between Satan and his seed, all the unbelievers and Eve's seed, Jesus Christ and all the believers that have put their faith and trust in them. He said, I will put enmity between thee, talking to Satan and the woman, and between thy seed, Satan's seed, and her seed. Between Satan and the woman, between all that came from them. And of course, the enmity between Satan and his seed and Christ and his seed was part of the judgment of the curse that we talked about there that was brought by God because of sin. The battle rages between Satan and his followers and Christ and his followers. There is enmity there. There is a battle that is there. If the verse stopped there, it would leave us with a pretty dark ending. <laughs> There's going to be battles. There's going to be enemies. There's going to be fighting that's going on. But it doesn't stop there, does it? He goes on to say, it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. You see, Satan could only bruise the heel of Christ. He could cause him to suffer. While Christ would bruise the very head of Satan. In other words, he would utterly destroy him with a fatal blow. Satan, with all of his power, you see, this is the first prophecy in all of the Word of God of the coming Messiah of Jesus Christ that would come and he would be the one that would come and utterly destroy Satan himself. God is very clear and he is very precise on this matter. There is no question of his defeat. It's here. In Genesis, the very beginning, in the first place, in the first people, 
that the basis of Satan's ultimate destruction is laid. You take that away. You undermine the whole thing. You certainly take away much of the understanding of what comes later. Why is he being destroyed? Why is God going to destroy this one? What was he responsible for? It's given to us here. You see, it's here in Genesis that we have those foundational truths that are laid of Satan's entrance into the world, his lying deceitfulness from the very beginning, his leading mankind into sin and destruction, bringing the, the sin curse that we talked about, including death to this world and all of mankind, the things that so many people today want to blame God for. I get those questions. I shared with you a couple of the questions that some of these university students got me into at the Christian unions. You know, why do people suffer in this world? Why do people go to a place like, how can a loving God send people to hell? Many of these questions can never be answered if you take away the very foundations of Genesis and how it all began and what it's all coming from. May I say to you, first of all, the abolishment of Satan is not in question. It's certain from the very beginning of time as the curse from the very first time that he came and brought his hideous acts against mankind. Yes, mark it down. We are in a battle, the battle that God speaks of here in Genesis 3.15 We've said before, we may see some stricken down. You see, it wasn't just Jesus. Their heels bruised. We may see some have to suffer. We may even see some put to death for the cause of Christ, just as he was on Calvary. But guess what? <laughs> we sang about it earlier. <laughs> oh, yes, old Satan thought that he had done away with him. He may have seen him hang on that cross. He may have seen him have that stone put in front of that, that tomb when he was there. But guess what, praise God? He arose, praise God. The third day, it was an empty tomb. He was no longer there. Praise God. We understand the significance of that because he arose, because he was victorious. Because he lives forever in him, in Jesus Christ, so can you and so will you if you belong to him. You see, in this battle, Christ will deliver the ultimate blow to the enemy. He himself will do that. He is the one that will bruise the head that will utterly destroy Satan but sadly, all that belong to him, all of his seed, there will be no big zero, no fatalities on Christ's side. All of the fallen in the battle will be the enemy, but it'll be 100%. None. None destroyed on the one side, all destroyed on the other. You see, the question has been asked, and I've had it asked me many times over the years, why again 
if you've got such a loving God and you've got this one you call Satan or the devil or whatever your name that you're, that you're giving to it that's causing all this trouble, why didn't God just destroy him? <laughs> why didn't God just take him out of the picture? I mean, you know, it's been 6,000 years <laughs> since this promise was made. Why does God still put up with all the violence? People look around. They want to blame God for all these things, which in actual fact we know is not because of God. It's because of a lack of God. See, there's a lot of things could be said on that subject, but I want to draw your attention to one thing, a foundation that's laid right here in this passage that's foundational to understanding that because some things aren't easy to understand. You see, in this curse that we read here in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, notice again, I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. You see, Satan's ultimate destruction is tied directly to the seed of Satan as well. It's tied directly to the sin. We've already seen the acuteness of man's fall. We've seen the resulting curse that came from that the curse that was placed on Satan was part and partial of that curse that was placed upon mankind and all of creation. And of course, as we read and we look here, we find that that curse specifically drives all the spiritual seed of Satan and all the spiritual seed of Christ. They're all tied there, and there is no place else. But this is not hard to see. It's not something that's being hid from us here. You see, when will that curse be gone? Well, if you turn to the very last book of your Bible, and we've looked at this in some detail, and we certainly won't do that this morning, but let me read a few things to you. You see, Revelation chapter 19 and chapter 20 describe the fulfillment of what is being promised here in the very beginning. It describes the abolishment of Satan from this earth. Do you remember how that ends? Without reading all of it, look with me in Revelation chapter 20 and just pick up in verse 10. And notice what he says, and the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. The ultimate doom of Satan. Notice the next verse. And I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, 
and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Folks, this isn't rocket science. This isn't hard to grasp. It's not hard to see. It all began in the Garden of Eden. It all began in the beginning when Satan entered in and when he enticed that woman and led that man into sin. And the curse came, but the promise was Come, there would come a day when that enemy would be abolished from the face of this earth. When that's fulfilled, that we just read there, it's only when he is cast away that all the dead, all of his seed from all time then stand before God and are judged for their sin. You see, their abolishment is tied hand in hand. They're tied together. These verses describe how it's going to end for Satan, but he also describes that at the same time, that's how it's going to end for all of his seed. I read this verse to you sometime in recent weeks. Revelation chapter 22, verse 3, and there shall be no more curse. <laughs> but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. When is that? That, my friends, is in the new paradise. <laughs> when all sin and all sinners and Satan himself and all has been destroyed and put away, then and only then will there be a new heaven and a new earth with no sin, no sinners, and no saint, no Satan to tempt them anymore. All gone. All new. Theologians tell a story to illustrate how Christ's triumph presently benefits our lives. They tell this story that imagine a city that is under siege. The enemy has completely surrounded the city He'll not let anyone in. He'll not let anything out. He'll not let any food come in. They're under siege. Supplies are running low. The citizens are beginning to get very fearful. They're fearing for their lives. They're fearing for their future. But then, in the dark of the night, there's a spy that sneaks through the enemy lines and he, and he gets into the city and he's got something he's got to tell and he rushes to tell the people that Another place. The enemy has already been defeated. And it won't be long till all these enemies that are fighting with him, they'll be told of his defeat and they'll lay down their weapons. They said that's a similar picture. <laughs> that we may be completely surrounded by the forces of evil. Remember we talked about the ways we are victors. We talked about the armor that we wear in this battle. We talked about how that we win. The truth is, sometimes 
the disease, the injustice, the oppression, the death, all of these things that are part of the enemy. But you see, the enemy was actually defeated at Calvary. <laughs> That's when the victory was won. When Jesus rose the third day, it was finished. It was done with. Things are not the way they seem sometimes. It's just a matter of time. The battle will really be over. You see, it's only because of the foundations laid in Genesis that a lot of this stuff makes sense, folks. It's tough enough to answer them sometimes with it. There's two very important things that I want to leave you with this morning. The abolishment of Satan, first of all, for the sinner. If you're here, you see, you're a seed of one of the lines, spiritually, physically, we're all of the seed of the woman from the garden. We're all the seed of Adam from the garden. Spiritually, you're the seed of one or the other. For the sinner, if we see this simple truth, and it ought to drive you to your knees as fast as you could get there to seek that forgiveness that can only come in Jesus Christ. In God's grace, it's by God's grace that he hasn't brought about the abolishment of Satan yet from this earth. Because to do so, would be to abolish the sinner as well. You see, if you're listening to this and you're lost and you don't know Jesus Christ, God has given you another opportunity to humble yourself, to seek that forgiveness, to become part of his seed. The abolishment of Satan is certain, but what about you? If you stay in your sin, you will certainly be abolished just as surely as him. You'll spend that eternity in the same place as him. On which side of the battle do you stand? The abolishment of Satan for the sinner. It ought to be a truth that would drive you to your knees. But the abolishment of Satan for the saint, for the believer, for the one that belongs to Christ, Today, I don't care. I don't know. You might be going through some really, really tough, tough times. You may not understand all the reasons that you're having to, to face the things you're facing and fight the things you're fighting, why things are so hard, but it ought to give you hope and it ought to give you encouragement. Why? Because the victory truly is yours. You've got to believe that. He's the one that will try to get you to doubt it. One day soon, your enemy will be no more. Though you might be, listen, this is important. You might be struggling. You might be fighting. You may feel that it's more than is humanly possible to handle. But you know what this truth ought to do to you? It ought to remind you that that little bit of struggle, that that little battle, battle that you're going through now, as big as it might be, that that might be what's giving your friend, your family, that's not yet saved, 
It's giving them hope. Because you see, one day the struggles will be gone. One day the fighting will be over. One day there'll be no more battles to fight. But when that day comes, everybody's allegiances are sealed for eternity. So you may be the next time when things are really tough, you might want to ask yourself, am I willing to fight this battle if it means that my brother, my sister, my friend, my family, the people that I know, the people that I work with, if it means they've still got a hope, they've still got a chance because it will all come to an end. The victory has already been won, but for now, there's still hope for them. I want to read this passage to you in closing from 2 Peter chapter 3. I'm not going to take any time to comment upon what I'm reading here. I just want to read it to you for a final thought. He says, this second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, and both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandments of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lust, those that they'll scoff at your faith, at your belief. And they're saying, he says here, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. Hmm. People have been talking about this promise ever since the beginning of creation, but it hasn't happened. <laughs> Where is it? For this they willingly are ignorant of. That by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. But the heavens and the earth which are now, by the same word are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. God destroyed it once by water. But God's reserved what's here now until that day. He says, but beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning him. We get hung up on the time thing. God can't even tell the difference in a day and a thousand years. He's outside of time. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some men count slackness. Some people think that God hasn't done it, but here's why. Why are you still fighting that fight? Why are you still in that battle? Why are we still here? Why hasn't the trumpet sounded yet? Why hasn't it come to the end? It says, but is long suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. I've heard that verse taken in so many different contexts, but God said, why has the end not come yet? Why are we still here? Why is this earth still here when he promised all the way back at creation that it was going to be abolished, that it was going to be destroyed, that he was coming? Why? Because of God's long suffering. Because he doesn't want any to perish. 
Because when he puts an end to it, it's an end for everybody. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, <laughs> what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? What in the world should it do to us? If we know that's what's coming and we know that's the end for those that we love and that we care for, what should it do to us? We talked this morning in the Bible study time about the priorities in our life. We get so stressed out. We get so fed up. We drive ourselves insane because we can't fit everything in. We can't do all that needs to be done. And yet God gets to the bottom of the totem pole. If we've got time for God, we'll fit him in there. Yet he's the one that is our strength. He's the one that is our answer. If you know these things, what ought it to be doing to our lifestyles and what we're saying and how we're living our lives? Looking for and hasting into the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we... According to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent that you may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless and account that the long suffering of our Lord is salvation. Even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things in which are seen some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do also the other scriptures unto their own destruction. It is hard to understand some things. But God's giving you the answers. Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before, beware lest ye also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your steadfastness. <laughs> Don't let him discourage you. <laughs> Don't let their scoffing put you off. He says, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. You see, the foundation is laid. People don't want to take it literally. The foundation is laid in the book of beginnings for the abolishment of Satan, for our enemy to be destroyed totally, completely, once and for all, cast into the lake of fire. For the Bible says you'll suffer forever and ever. Why should that affect our lives? Because if you're not saved, well, it's one of those truths that ought to drive you to your knees. By God's grace, that's why long-suffering is salvation. The reason it hasn't come to an end is because he doesn't want you to perish. But if you throw away that opportunity, oh, yes, Christians, we can rejoice in a day when our Satan, our enemy, the great enemy, will be put away forever. But when that day comes, it's the end of all. And it's the end of opportunity. Peter said, boy, how that ought to make us live. Are we doing everything? Is that what is important to us? What is our conversation like? While there's still hope, we know that there's still hope because we're still here. This is coming. But when it comes, it'll be the end of all things. So that should be something that both encourages us and challenges us. Father, 
We thank you today, Lord. Lord, as we continue to look through the foundations laid in the book of Genesis, Lord, this foundational truth of the abolishment of our enemy, the simple truths that you give us there, Lord, as we look through Scripture, Lord, it does lay the foundation where we can have absolute confidence in knowing, Lord, that the abolishment of our enemy is coming. There is no question about that. But Lord, help us to recognize as well that, Lord, the battles that we're facing right now, Lord, they're worth it. They're pretty small in comparison to what you've got for us in eternity. And, Lord, we would fight these battles day after day if it means those that we love will have an opportunity, that they've still got an opportunity to be saved. Help us, Lord, to be the witnesses. Help us to let the love of Christ be seen in our lives. Help us to make a difference, not just in our lives, but in the lives of those around us. Thank you, Father, for all your great blessings that we can count on for eternity. In Christ's name we pray, amen and amen. Mm-hmm.